Let's talk about baby. Let's talk about you and me. Do you guys remember that song? That was my pre-Jesus soundtrack, so forgive me, but I had to tune it up here because today with Heather McConaughey, we're talking about a lot of things, sex included. We're talking about body image and sacred sexuality as well as femininity. We're talking about sustainable lifestyles in parallel to fitness and nutrition. And for those who know me, you know that this is something I am really passionate about. I feel like we as women have to be empowered and create success from a place of wholeness, of a place of alignment. And she is teaching us that not only from her nursing background, but her degrees and her putting the pedal to the metal and actually doing the work. She's going to unlock energy and she's going to help you step into the mood that you want to feel and the mood that you should feel based on so many different areas of integration. I was so honored to have this conversation and get real and raw and talk about sex, baby. So I want you to stay tuned. It's so good. And you have to get connected to Heather McConaughey. She also has a podcast, the Positive Thread Podcast. So be sure to tune into hers as well. I'll tag all the things. And if you would do the same, we would highly appreciate it. I could so see Heather coming in and teaching and training some of my people at a retreat one day. Speaking of, I have a retreat coming up in February 4th through the 10th of 2022. We will be together in Punta de Mita, Mexico. And I cannot wait to just explore not only your health and well-being in that space, but also your femininity and what that means and how we can stand in honor of being a daughter of the king, of being queens here on earth as it is in heaven. Cannot wait. You've got to go check out my website. It is www.tamaraandress.com. Com and just find the retreats tab because if I give you all of the stuff, you won't remember it. So TamaraAndress.com. And now for the one and only lovely Heather McConaughey. Welcome to the Fit and Faith podcast. Fit is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie-cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, my desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Hey, 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 welcome to the Fit Faith podcast, Heather. I'm so glad to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. Pleasure. And I'm excited because as I was reading a bit about you and learning about your story, um, from the bits and pieces that I could gather, there was a lot of symmetry in the the wholeness and the health factor and the exploration. I was a a personal trainer and nutrition counselor for several years when I first got out of college. And so there's definitely symmetry in what Fit and Faith started from. And then I'll have to share later what it evolved into. So thanks for being here. I'm excited to unpack your story. Yeah, I love that. 
Yeah. So tell tell us where where that all derives. So for those who don't know Heather, just to give you a little bit of background on her, uh, I always give an intro to the intro before the podcast starts. But you guys know that she is a faith driven nutritionist, which I think is really cool. And one of the reasons I was excited to have her on the show. But health and mindset coaching is parallel to that. And she was a former nurse. So as an entrepreneur, she's got all the passion points that I love to unpack. And so it's going to be fun to hear where the backstory derived from. Yeah, so I'm Heather McConaughey. I'm a registered nurse turned nutritionist. So I started my career really taking care of people who were catastrophically sick. I was an ER nurse for three years in a level one trauma center here in Austin, Texas. So I saw the worst of the worst, right? Like I saw people die from trauma, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, car accidents, overdoses. But then I also saw things like heart attacks, um, stroke, um, diabetic crisis, um, hypertensive crisis, um, alcohol withdrawal, etc. Right. And so after taking care of people who, um, were so sick, kind of what paralleled that was my own pursuit of health and wellness for myself and fitness. I actually started doing CrossFit at the same time that I started working in the ER kind of fits because they're both kind of like masculine. Totally. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I'm much more in yeah, my a way to get out of it though. I mean, I could understand uh, the, all of the probably added anxiety and stuff that that does, even with knowing that that's your profession, there's a lot of pent up. It's almost like a PTSD. I have a lot of friends that are in that nurse practitioner ER realm, and it's really hard on them. They have to have a place to decompress. So at least you chose a healthy alternative. (laughs) Totally. And it was a great mindset thing. It actually taught me a really important lesson, which was I would start my, I would go to CrossFit first before my shifts. And it was the hardest thing like I'd ever done. I'd have anxiety about how hard the workout was going to be, but then I'd show up, I do the work and I leave feeling like, wow, the hardest part of my day is over. And even though I was walking into a really challenging work environment on many levels, I felt much more mentally strong and able to handle it. Wow. That is a very interesting perspective because you would, I was thinking you were going to say something totally different, to be honest. I thought you were going to say you, you had this hard thing and then you went in and you realized how much harder other people have it, which I'm sure, of course, there's hardship that they're going through, but it almost brought you just to a personal place of peace in order to serve them at the level of, that you needed to. hundred percent. Cause it's very confronting to take care of very sick people. It's scared. I felt scared. Like I already have some anxiety. Uh, so then like to add that on top <laughs> of it, imagine, I yeah. Like, yeah, I could kill this person yeah, today for sure. their medicine, which is a real thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or you could miss something. People right. sit, people come in the ER sick and sometimes they don't present a sick and they die in your waiting room or they die in a lower acuity bed. And so I just had a lot of anxiety. So it taught me a very important mental lesson, which was foundational, I think, to me becoming an entrepreneur. So really cool. So that how long did you how long did you stay in that realm before you took the leap outside of the nursing? Yeah, the beautiful thing about being a nurse and starting a business is full time for a hospital nurse is only three 12 hour shifts in a seven day period. They're still very intense. You still need like two days to just recover from your shift. So then you have a true weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I actually had like five days a week to start working on my business. So I was full time when I started nutrition coaching and very quickly my business scaled just through referral, word of mouth, my gym. I went from having one client to 16 within two months. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. 
Yeah. So then I had enough cash flow coming in from my business to go part-time as a nurse, which was really great because I still had benefits. I still had shifts. I still got a paycheck, but I didn't have to be at the hospital three days a week. I only had to be there two days a week, but I could pick up extra shifts or I could pick up a four hour shift. So I had a lot more control over my schedule and that's really what allowed me to scale. So I did that for four more months and then I quit nursing and went full-time with my business. And I've been in business full-time for, it'll be four years this New Year's Eve. Hey, that is a really amazing. And I feel like fast track. I don't think a lot of people, when they, they, I mean, that's the hope, right? You start a business and you're like, oh, by the end of the year, I'm going to be out of here. Uh, but I, that was never my story. And, and I think that it's pretty amazing that you have that as a part of your testimony to be able to say, like, sometimes it's just the grit and the grind, even though I'm totally anti-hustle culture, you did it in a really, like, um, I think, healthy way. Thank you. Yeah, I did it, I think, in a very smart, strategic way. I didn't quit my job and have no money coming in. I was very intentional. I actually saved $30,000 within four months that I made in my business. I saved every penny and I lived off of the money that I was still making from nursing. And I just lived a little more lean. And so I, when I quit nursing, I had $30,000 in my business bank account that provided me a huge mental cushion for my, I was like, well, that's 10 months of living expenses. If I sign no clients for 10 yeah. months, you got no. it. Yeah, I got no. it. That's huge. And and I and I think the initial cash flow is also a representation of the legwork that you put in prior to starting your business. I think a lot of times people think like, oh, they started a business and then they were that successful, but you were living this healthy, holistic lifestyle and people were had been bearing witness to it. Otherwise, those clients didn't just like appear out of thin air, like, hey, I'm a coach now. Talk to us about like your lead up to that experience. Were people telling you like, hey, you should do this or getting advice from you? How did you know that this was something you wanted to pivot into? Yeah, it kind of kind of fell into my lap. And then I also took action towards it. So the first thing that happened was you were correct for um, for two solid years before I started my business. I was working on my own health and wellness journey. So trying nutrition, figuring things out, working with a coach myself. I got certified in a nutrition certification program that I was, I just did it because I was interested. I wasn't trying to start a business. Um, the nutrition certification program actually did not teach me everything that I know. A lot of what I learned is self-taught experimentation, research articles, um, which is a whole other conversation. A lot of nutrition certification programs out there, even like big name ones are actually very, like still don't teach you everything you need to know. So um, I, I was doing that. And then I actually, one of the coaches at my CrossFit gym, the summer before I started my nutrition coaching business, he approached me and asked me if I would cook for him. Interesting. <laughs> I was posting on Instagram. I would just post like photos of my food, like really low quality, like, you know, yeah, sure. um, here's my breakfast bowl. And <laughs> he was like, he was a CrossFit coach and he was like, would you cook for me? And I was like, well, okay, I could try it. So I cooked him, I think, like two meals a day, five days a week. So I batch cook him 10 meals and, and deliver them to him. And then all of a sudden, people at the gym, oh, well, I want in on that. Well, I want, will you cook for me? I want, how do I join? Like everyone wanted the meal prep. And all of a sudden, I was cooking 75 meals a week in my home kitchen, in addition to juggling full-time ER nursing. And I did that for a summer. And I made money. I, yeah. I my profit was eighteen hundred basically from the yeah. summer. Okay. 
Um, but I even looked at renting commercial kitchen space mm-hmm. and scaling mm-hmm. it. And then I was like, the profit, I, I'm not even business trained. I just instinctively, I like knew. I was like, this isn't going to work. Yeah, I was like, this isn't going to work. Like the profit margins are like horrible here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meal prep. That's why there's no meal prep businesses. Yeah, then every time they start, they go down. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually a good, when you want to start a business, look at all the other people who, are there other businesses that are successful Mm. doing what you are? That's actually a good sign. So true. Like market saturation is a good sign that actually there's demand for your product. If there's no one doing what you're doing, there might be a reason. Right, right. A lot of people think that they're like novel and they're like, oh my gosh, I have this brilliant idea. Nobody has done this before. And I'm like, oh, they probably have because no idea is new. Uh, right. But it is, it, that's a really good advice for, for the startup, right? And, and for recognizing that you have to do your market research and understand the profit margins in comparison because meal prep can be profitable if it's partnered with coaching and all these other pieces. It's not necessarily the meal prep that's profitable. It's the other Mm. component. Um, So I was curious even to go back some more to your history on this understanding of nutrition. Like I was raised in a home where my parents were very health conscious. They were like the original gold gym rats out in California and then came to the East Coast when my dad was in the military. And so they were like the only people who would be outside running. Like Virginia Beach was not adopting what was happening in California at that point. And they're like, why are you? It's freezing outside. Why are you wearing shorts and running a marathon? What's wrong with you? Now, we've come to terms with that and we're very health, much a health conscious. But still, I go to California. and There's like a whole nother realm of health and wellness, and it's still not fully adopted over here. So what was your childhood like and how did that apply to what you do now? Hmm, great question. So I was raised in Eugene, Oregon, which is a very outdoorsy place. I grew up doing tons of outdoor activities, skiing, biking, hiking, boating, um, so I was very active as a child. And while I wasn't super into team sports, like I never played sports in middle school or high school, I, I just grew up being active, hiking, riding my bike. Um, food was something that I enjoyed. My mom was a big baker. She loves to like, we would go pick strawberries like fresh from farms and then she would make them into fresh jam. Um, but she also baked a lot. There was always dessert, but there was also like, what I remember from childhood is there was always a salad at dinner. There was always like vegetables, but there was also like white bread and margarine on the table. And then there was also always dessert. Always, always. (laughs) It was the whole, it was the well-balanced meal, right? Isn't that what they were taught though? If you see the pie chart and it was like 20% here, 30% here. Oh, don't forget your sugar and your gluten and all the other things that you shouldn't really have. But for some reason, somebody decided it was a good idea. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I never got message. I was never told to eat less or don't eat things, you know, but I did gain weight as a teenager. And while I never dieted or anything as a teenager, I did start working out uh, distinctly around age 15 or 16 um, and got really into fitness as a way to reshape my body. But, you know, when you're young, I don't know if other people listening have experienced this, but until I was about 28, I could almost eat whatever I wanted and work out and be fine. And it was like 28 is when things started to tip a certain way. And I've noticed this with my clients too, actually. There's something about that age in women's bodies where it just becomes a little harder to get away with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely experienced that. I was actually after both of my kiddos though, at that point, but I had jumped into fitness and nutrition so early and none of my friends, it was like the hardest sell ever to be a 21 year old 
telling people to come work out with me at five in the morning. They're like, absolutely not. What is You're wrong like with you? No. And they were all tiny, like people, right? Like they were just like do, living that party life. They're like, no way you're crazy. And I just I always kept saying like, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time. And all of my clients at that point were in their mid forties and fifties. And I was just this like young buck, like get in the sand, get dirty. You can do it. Right. And it wasn't until I had kids and I hit that age, that 28, 29 year old age where I was like, oh, this is harder than I made it seem. <laughs> this is really difficult. But at the same point, all of those girls who weren't working out then were absolutely working out by then. And like, how are you so tiny? You're so little. I'm like, well, it's because I've been training my body for a really long time. You're just getting started. So it's really interesting how that shift. It's also a mindset, right? Like when was your mindset to the place where you're like, this is something I need to do more frequently. And was it just a body image thing? Or you realize the connection to your well-being when you're working Mm -hmm. out? Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I kind of started focused on working out when I was like 16, 17. And I was very consistent for probably five years all through college. And then I sustained a chronic like foot injury and it kind of took me out of the game for a year. And then I was dealing with that kind of throughout my twenties and it really impacted my activity. Um, and it still kind of flares up every now and then, but I think the turning point for me with both nutrition and exercise, right. Where nutrition actually came into play was when I was doing CrossFit and I was following a general eating plan. Um, it's called tone it up, which I love the tone it up brand. I love the the founders. Um, but their plan is just a general plan. It's not customized to you individually. Right. And it doesn't focus on specific quantity. It really focuses just on eating quality foods. And there's some interesting food rules they have that I don't think are backed up by science. Um, but I followed it and I did lose weight. I lost like 10 pounds. But I also lost three pounds of muscle. And this was despite doing CrossFit. Like I was lifting heavier weights than I'd ever lifted in my life. I'm like, how am I losing muscle? Wow. So then I thought, okay, well, my friend over here who's 15% body fat and CrossFit's two hours a day, she eats pizza, ice cream, whatever she wants. Maybe I'll try that strategy and I need to bulk up and eat more. (laughs) Oh no. And guess what? I gained all that fat back. It was all fat. I gained 0.6 pounds muscle. And I was so frustrated because here I am spending $215 a month on CrossFit. So that's what over $2,600 a year I'm spending on CrossFit. I'm spending hours of my life at the gym, my sweat, my exhaustion, like my fatigue, like working out is hard and I'm going backwards. And that was the moment like that was the moment of no return for me with nutrition because that was when I invested in a coach. I finally learned about the the quantity matters. Like I think there's so much in the wellness world now that's like, don't count calories. Don't do this. It just eat quality food. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, if body composition is your goal in some degree, doesn't mean you want to be a bodybuilder, but if any change to your body composition is something you desire, quantity matters. Wow. Interesting. I I probably am one of those people that is like, oh, you can eat as many things as you want. Green oriented, right? Like my, we do something, um, probably a, it's a combination of like paleo, mostly vegan. We're like 80, 20 vegan. Um, and then, uh, when it comes to cheese and eggs, obviously not the meat piece for the paleo, but intermittent fasting has been like a huge part of my journey. The last four years doesn't work for everyone. Um, but that truly changed a lot of it. But if you think about it, it really is connected to quantity. I just never think about it that way. 
It is. And I'd love to share some research about this. Yeah. It'd be really eye-opening. So what, what most people are doing intermittent fasting is actually technically called time restricted feeding. Okay. Yeah, true. Because I don't, I actually have coffee. So I know I break my fast. Well, and technically an intermittent fast is not eating for 24 to 48 hours. Oh, wow. That is not what I'm doing. Yes. So that's truly what an intermittent, that's truly intermittent fasting is, is not eating for 24 to 48 hours. Time restricted feeding is when you decide I'm not going to eat until noon and then I will be done with eating by 8 p.m. That's technically called TRF, but a lot of people think of it as IF. The research indicates that the only reason that TRF is effective at producing weight loss is because people are eating less calories during the day. So you can also control for that variable with just measuring eating your less calories per day. Yeah, eating less right. calories per day. Interesting. Good so, to know. So people ask me all the time. I actually got this question twice over the weekend from just people like, what do you think about intermittent fasting? I was like, look, if it makes you feel good, if you have more energy waiting, go for it. Yeah. Right. But it, you don't need to do that. That's mm. not like a necessary component. And I think good. that's my philosophy as a nutritionist. I'm all about cutting through fad diets like, what's the science say? Like, I go to PubMed, I research articles, I have a nursing background, I have a bachelor's of science in nursing. I'm very, like, science-oriented, but then I have a lot of experience working with clients, so I see what works. So, yeah, it's it's tricky to navigate all the things out there. It is. It really is. And, and I think that there's so much value to it. Like, there's all of the conversations around, try this one, do this one. Well, you should try Whole30. Oh, you should try this one. And it puts people into the state of mind that I have to do this in order to have this result. And and I really, truly believe, and it's one of the reasons that I started not only my podcast, but women's retreats is to teach them that they don't have to have any sort of diet culture. Like that's not the state of being that God would want us to be in. It's not the state of being that is sustainable. And I love that in your bio, in the way that you talk, you talk a lot about sustainability. And so talk to us about like how that's affected change in the women that you've served and for them to have it almost sustainable to me in the diet realm if or the nutrition realm, it equates to freedom. Yeah, great question. First, one thing I just want to go back and say is, all of these different like eating approaches, right? We could use the word diet or we could just say like eating approach or philosophy, yeah. keto, yeah. vegan, whole yep. 30 macros, all these things. It's like, what's your goal? Like none of them are right and none of them are wrong, right? They're just different approaches. If your goal is, um, you know, to make less of a carbon footprint on the planet, you know, and maybe have better digestion, maybe you eat vegan. If your goal is to improve your body composition and um, do it in a way where you're getting the best results possible, then then macro tracking is going to work for you, right? If your goal is to have complete freedom with food, you eat whatever you want, you have no rules, but and you're okay with gaining 20 pounds, then intuitive eating might be great for you, right? Um, I've actually worked with an intuitive eating coach and I wanted to try it. And guess what? I had freedom with food, but I also gained like 10 pounds. Yeah. I feel so, like that would be me. I feel like. Yeah. I call it peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. Guess what? My body turns that into fat. Uh, that's that's awesome. awesome. That's so there's, awesome. There's not like one right way yeah. to eat, right? Yeah. But it's like, really, what's your goal? And so my program promise, the specific thing I'm really an expert at delivering is improving women's body composition, right? Mm -hmm. So many people, it's not just lose weight. It's like, well, do you want to lose fat and build muscle? Like my experience with CrossFit where I lost weight, but I lost muscle. That's not improving body composition really. Right. 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 
So I do that through through sustainable nutrition without fad, fad diets and without forbidden foods. So I think there's a couple of things that make an eating philosophy sustainable. One, no forbidden foods. You cannot eliminate foods from your diet that you enjoy. Like if you don't want to eat something because you have an allergy to it or it makes you feel like crap, no problem. You don't have to eat anything, right? But if you truly enjoy something and think you have to forbid it to improve your body composition, you're going to get into a binge restrict cycle. Yeah. And honestly, how, how accurate is that towards every component of life? Nutrition, fitness, spiritual self, relational health like the overdrive of, of achievement, perfectionism, like all of that actually applies to that concept. Yeah, totally. When we completely like forbid things, they become like huge temptations, I think. And yeah. it's, it's a tricky thing to navigate. So I think that makes some, that makes something sustainable. I have my clients, like I just reviewed my clients today and I was so delighted because one of my clients said, I had this butternut squash grilled cheese sandwich and it was totally something I was craving. And I love that I can have the foods that I want and fit them in, in the right ratio and frequency. So that's another component of something being sustainable, especially if your goals, body composition is what's the ratio and frequency that your particular body can tolerate this food. And you also achieve the results that you want physique wise for your body. Cause what I've discovered working with women is they want both like, they yeah. don't want the extreme bodybuilding diet that's going to yeah. take them down to 12% body fat. Like they don't want that strict diet, but they also don't want to gain 20 pounds. Right. Like, they, they, don't, <laughs> they don't want the health at every size movement. Like at least not the women coming to me. They yeah, want the yeah. Around. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that there's so much power in the ability to do the both and, and recognizing that there's a way that you can keep that in a sustainable fashion. I think through like sustainability in your faith and, and spiritual self, and you mentioned the word frequencies. And a lot of people who listen to my podcast know that I'm always like rejecting the woo-woo concept because I believe that it's all in connection to our, our higher selves and who God has intended for us to be. Um, and, and rejecting doesn't help. Right. And so if you're not willing to explore, then you're actually you're limiting your God. We all have a story. Bits and pieces of ourself that we keep hidden from the world in worry, chasing perfectionism instead of progression, chasing materialism instead of worth. Chasing the hourglass figure instead of health, chasing accolades and American dreams instead of wealth. Chasing relationships rather than intimacy. Chasing lies instead of the truth. We stand naked and afraid, unknown and covered in shame. But I refuse to let Pandora's box let us stay stifled and lame. Destined to live a life of freedom, integrity, and love. Unshackled and beautiful, worthy, known from above. His promises are in the rainbow. Past the storm or in it, we stand secure. Not alone, together, women, we endure. Always becoming. And so talk to us about what your knowledge is around like frequency and energy connected to like the scientific methodologies of food, health, well-being. 
Mm. Okay. Just to clarify, when I was talking about yeah. frequency in that context, I was meaning like how often you eat the food. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But we can totally talk about also the frequency and energetics around food. There's a great book I read a few years ago around food energetics. And there's some really interesting concepts in that book where it actually talked about that we will seek food and drinks that actually um, align with our current energetic state. So for example, and this, I'll just give an example from my own life. When I was working, building my business as an entrepreneur, I drank a lot of coffee. And um, I am caffeine free right now. This is my natural wow, energy. Good, I love that. Just <laughs> with me on water, y'all. Um, no stimulants, no cocaine, no caffeine, nothing, no mask. So proud okay. of you. So proud of you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> this is just this is lemon water. Um, but I used to drink a lot of caffeine, and yeah. what I discovered was I was anxious a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. And caffeine matched that. Caffeine wow. has the frequency and energy of anxiety. It's a sympathetic nervous system stimulant. Wow. Um, and so I've learned that sometimes people are matching like the, the food energy, like kind of how they're feeling. Like if you're feeling depressed and sluggish and down, you tend to pick foods that match that they're sluggish foods like cheese and bread. You're like so right. Yeah. Foods, right. People call them comfort foods, right? Only to make themselves feel better, but it's actually right. like making you less comfortable. <laughs> like it's right. actually causing you to have inflammation and lethargy and all you, know, like you want to go back to sleep. I was all up in that for so long to the point where I was taking like three hour naps per day. And I would wake up and I had convinced myself, especially when I was pregnant, but even before and after that I needed to eat when I woke up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And so Mm -hmm. I would go and have like one, sometimes two bowls of cereal and then go back to sleep. And I was so lethargic. I was so like, Mm -hmm. I had this natural, this is my natural energy too, Yeah, but I would crash and I would sleep upwards of anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a night with Two two newborns, like two toddler and newborn. And people are always like, how do you sleep? I'm like, when they nap, I nap. When they, every single time, there is no getting around it. And it wasn't until I started releasing the genres of food that were actually attached to my energy. And my husband actually got me to do the things and practice the way of eating that he had for so long um, that it shifted not only my well-being and my mindset towards food, but also uh, my body image. And, mm-hmm. and how I was utilizing my body as a vessel. This was like, almost like a, you can see even in pictures, it's like pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. And, <laughs> and it's, it's not necessarily that Jesus changed my body, but there was a new sense of stewardship that I had mm. in my body yes. that was not there before. And I was also suppressed in shame based on body image, based on expectations of women and our body image. And so I'd be curious as you work with women, how has, how has like culture shaped what they think their body should be or how they're eating, even, Mm. even talking about alcohol being like a Mm. natural coping mechanism. Like everyone goes to happy hour. So I'll go to happy hour Mm. and happy hour is not just an hour. It's five hours. Oh, wow. That's so much to, (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah. There's a lot here. I think when I came to faith, one of the things that drew me to faith was really being so disgusted and fed up with like the culture of sexuality 
like, and the lack of sacredness around sexuality and the just like demeanment and debasement of both men and women, like their sacredness, right? That's good. It's a beautiful word. Yeah. And, and that was honestly the thing that even led me to faith. Like that was my path to Jesus was this like sexuality is sacred. I kept getting that message from God. Wow. Yeah. I was like, where's this coming from? Like I've been been an atheist for 30 (laughs) years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I still feel that very deeply inside me. Like there's this strong revulsion I have to the exploitation of bodies. Um, So I think for me, I see that played out in advertising, marketing, entertainment, indoctrination of women that, you know, our bodies are here to gratify others, gratify men, gratify employers, gratify, you know, our parents, gratify all these people. And, and one of the things that has helped me body image wise, like I want to look my best naked for my future husband. I love it. Yes. Um, (laughs) Like I want my body as a gift that I will give to him and share with him and same with my sexuality. But I also, um, I also have discovered that dressing more modestly has actually made me have better body image. Mm, I love that. And not like a have to, I'm not here to be like, you know, shame somebody for what they're wearing, but yeah. cause I, I'll wear a bikini at the pool, whatever. Sure, sure. But in general, I have found that, Oh, you know what? My, I don't have to show my body to society. Yeah. Like, that's my body cool. is not on display for you. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And, and interestingly, because of past history to myself, and I don't know how much of my story, you know, um, but the book that I just released always becoming sex, shame, and love talks a lot about the sexual piece to cultural um, expectations that I placed on my body based on mm. sexual trauma, but also based on pornography and then cyber sex and like all of these pieces that I've realized the more that I share is actually not me, Tamara, in a cyclone. You're the odd one out. It's more so we've all experienced it, but we don't know how to talk about it. And so I yep. think that there's something really beautiful in, in the fact that you've tapped into that, especially so young and being able to serve not only your future husband um, with a gift that is you, but also the representation to women, single women who, who feel the antithesis of that. They feel the pool of that secular sexuality um, and feeling that that's the way that they're going to find their husband. Yeah. And I even see like, so I have clients who are Christian and I have clients who are not. Sure. And, um, you know, with one of my Christian clients, she was feeling, she's very driven to improve her body composition and she's mature in her faith. But I started to kind of, you know, be like, you know, why, why do you want to change your body even more? Like, do you think it's going to attract a man? Mm. And I started to realize that, you know, she was around very skinny Christian women, like very other who were all married. And it was like easy to see the jump in her logic, right? Like if my body looks like their bodies, I will get the thing that I want that I still don't have. Right. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we like become aware of those beliefs that we have that are false um, and that we unpack them. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so valuable. Um, it's been interesting as a mom to navigate that for my kiddos and for them to not have shame towards their body, um, but also to protect what that looks like. I have a, a little boy who's eight and a little girl who's six. And like, we all kind of like are in the same space all the time. Like our bedroom is the bedroom. Everyone sleeps in the same room. We shower in the same room. Like, and it's been interesting navigating as they've gotten older, because when they're little, it's so cute that they walk around in the little naked hineys running around. Right. And as they get older, they're like, why can't I do that? And my son specifically has always been very curious about the fact that like Adam and Eve were naked and then they weren't. He's like, well, they can do it. And Africa can do it. Right. Like just I'm like, yeah, but there's like components of protection and this is why we choose to wear clothes. He'd be mo- like, he's literally Mowgli. He's got long hair. He would be naked all the time if I let him or just a piece of skirt. He'd be okay with that. Like a loincloth. Right. A lo- uh, totally, totally, totally. So it's been interesting navigating protection of their body and the vessel that it is while also celebrating their sexuality because that was never a conversation in my house. I don't know about mm. you, but like it was sex was not a conversation. There was no birds and the bees conversation. Like that wasn't a thing. And so it's been really interesting to navigate as a mm. mom. Something yeah. to be wow. teaching yeah. and mindful of. It's so interesting. I mean, I grew up in an atheist household. And so I was given like my sex talk was like bees and birds. Like I was told like the base, like I understood what sex was in fifth grade, like I it was actually, yeah, they were open. Yeah. Yeah. It was an assignment at my public school to like go home and ask your parents. And I did that. And they were just very open with me. Yeah, what it was. But they, because they were secular, they weren't like sex is between a husband and a wife. Right. They weren't like, this is something that you want this sacred. Like Protect. there wasn't, right. yeah, there wasn't any of those conversations. So I was, I was just kind of like on my own trying to navigate that. And yeah what informed me was fashion magazines like mm. Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, 17 YM. Cause I was a teenager in the nineties. Yeah, totally. Me I too. Love the it. internet. So I like read a lot of fashion magazines, watched a lot of TV and that kind of saturated my brain with body image. Yeah. And I've had to really work to reprogram and be like, my body is healthy. My body is strong. My body is beautiful. Like, Oh, I have some cellulite. Yeah. So it is like 99.9% of the other women on the planet. Yeah. hundred percent. But yeah, it's so true. And it's so it's so necessary for, I think, women to have more open conversations about that and the feeling and the suppression of what that's entailed. And I, I think, guys, like even when I talk to um, or you, I don't really specifically talk to men about my body, but my husband, for instance, in the in the transition that has occurred in my understanding of body image and sexuality and nutrition, even because he's a huge proponent of that. It, it has changed the way that we serve people, like when they're in our home, like the types mm. of food, um, what we allow in our space, what we don't allow in our space, what we'll treat people to when mm. we go out to eat versus what we won't. Um, we've actually given up alcohol, not forever, but it's just a component of alcoholism that runs in our family. And mm-hmm. it's been almost two and a half years. And just this other weekend, mm-hmm. we had like, we had like 14 people over. Right. And like, it's a party, of course. And everyone's like, Hey, I'll bring a side of beer. And I'm like, Oh, actually we have had a dry house for the last two and a half mm-hmm. years. And we want to protect our children from having to be around wow. it and thinking that that's okay all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. But that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. Cause I'm like, I'll hang out with you at a brewery any day, but at our but house, you set that boundary for your home. 
Yeah. Wow. And how did people handle that? They were totally fine. They were like, okay. oh, no big deal. That's awesome. But I'm sure they went out afterwards. <laughs> right. Well, this kind of leads back to alcohol, which I wanted to talk yeah, a little bit about too, because I see this as being one of the biggest struggles for some of my clients. Some of my clients are sober or dry, or they just don't care about alcohol or they drink minimally and it's no big deal. Right. But when you're trying to improve your body composition, if you drink more than one to two drinks, really more than one and a week as a woman, it will slow or impair or completely plateau your body comp progress. Even if you're accounting for it within your calories, um, which I teach my clients to do. So I have a client who's been struggling kind of, I'm out of a plateau, you know, like it's not, I'm like, well, you had six and a half alcoholic drinks last week, hon. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. It's actually a lot. So I think alcohol has become so normalized in our culture. And I also have noticed it can be normalized within the Christian culture because I was, I was going out with a Christian guy earlier this year who was very straight laced about all the things, except he had no issue with the fact that he wanted to drink three to five drinks every night, Wednesday through Sunday. Oh, wow. Monday and Tuesday, he didn't drink. (laughs) I'm like, the fact that you have rules is a, and when I brought it up to him, Hey, I have this concern. It really doesn't work for me. He, he ended it with me, which was, which was totally fine. It wasn't aligned, but I was like, wow, I think, and I think because in the Bible, they talk about wine and things Mm -hmm. like this. And he's like, well, I never get drunk. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you have a tolerance and you're yeah. like, the alcoholics don't get drunk either. Like, yes, you're so right. You're so right. And it is, it's like, a, it's a completely normalized. There is a gal that I've had on my podcast in the past. Um, she has a company called Gray Tonic. And it's mm. all about this concept of this being a normalization and that we should really inhibit ourselves because it's no different than anything else. The best analogy that I can and give, and hopefully you can take hold of this and pass it to some of your clients, is if we were at dinner together and it was time for us to order dessert and everyone's like, yeah, 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 let's get a dessert. And we all ordered our own dessert and we shared and everything. And then it was time to get the bill. And I was like, actually, I'm going to have another dessert. You guys would be like, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have another dessert. I eat the other dessert. Everyone's kind of like giving me the side eye. Right. And then I'm like, actually, I think I'm going to have, can I try the other dessert on the menu? And if I continued to do that and I had five to seven desserts, people would be very concerned. There would be a conversation. There would be a, I think you've had enough. Don't you think, are you okay? Like what's wrong? You're going to like have a heart attack or a diabetes episode. Like something is wrong, but the alcohol is the same mm. sugar content and that's totally fine. Mm. And yeah. So, and it has toxins. A hundred percent. It's like alcohol molecules, which are straight up toxic to the liver. Oh, bad. So bad. So just to think about it from that lens, it wow. allows people to be like, oh, okay. Right. I, that's not okay. Two is not okay. Like that people don't do that. And yeah. so I just think it's a it's a really tangible experience for people to see, like, okay, now I get it. And at least I can be conscientious of the fact that I'm about to order second, about to order round two. And that's right. what would happen. So to plague that with like this is a brownie Sunday. Just think of your your it as a brownie Sunday, and maybe you won't get seven of them. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, you know, another thing that I'm going to be walking my clients through this tonight, actually, on, on the calling leading for them. But, okay, why are you drinking? What, why do you even drink this thing? Are you thirsty? Because mm. water, we're <laughs> fulfill that, right? Um, 
but like, okay, what does alcohol give you access to? Well, when I used to drink more, um, I, I barely drink at all now for, mm -hmm. for mental health, emotional, physical, spiritual reasons. I just yeah. don't need it. Right. Yeah. Um, but when I did drink, okay, what did it give me access to? It relieved my stress mm -hmm. or feelings of tension or anxiety in my body very mm -hmm. quickly. It made me um, have less social anxiety because when I was in new social situations, I had social anxiety, made me less uh, inhibited. I felt more playful and fun when I was out with friends. It made me more bold at times talking. So I list all these things that it gave me access to. Well, why do I think I can't generate those feelings for myself sober? Totally. And it's such a hard thing to do when you're so used to the uh, opposition of that. And really through mental health and through the exploration of therapy and like, how do you actually deal with those emotions, those emotions of anxiety, social anxiety, those emotions of stress. And instead of going towards, and I was a culprit of this, which is one of the reasons that we tried to stop drinking and did, I would come home and my kids knew at four years old, mom is going to have a glass of wine. Do you want me to pour you a glass of wine? Wow. They were asking you that? Oh, yeah. Wow. And that, I would only have a glass, but I was also selling wine at the time. Mm. So I was the, the wine sales rep that didn't drink for a while. And then I was like, this just doesn't go together. I can't, do this. <laughs> I can't even taste the nodes. I don't even know what to tell you. If it's good, it probably sucks. I'm not sure. But it was the recognition that like, it's not just you that notices the need. There are people around you who are noticing that this is your only time that you're that joyful. It's your only time that you're right. that free. And I wanted to experience freedom in every component of my being. And it took a lot of hardship and actually having conversations, like real communications about how I felt with my husband versus mm -hmm. just like, hey, let's have sex because we just had a couple of glasses of wine. Mm -hmm. Imagine what sexuality means, what femininity means, what sacred mm -hmm. experience of intimacy exists when you have no alcohol in your system. It's like turning the lights on. And we did. Oh, and it was so it's good. been beautiful. It's been beautiful, but it took a while to get to that place. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a challenging substance for people to to navigate through. I, I have a lot of people who, because I, I have them drink less alcohol and I really yeah. push them towards that, they have to confront this stuff. And I'll have people be like, I know this program wasn't like a sobriety <laughs> program, but like I kind I got sober during the program. <laughs> <laughs> or like I stopped drinking That's or like so I drink good. way less now yeah. or like, you know, and it really makes my heart happy because, um, the less I drink personally, I have discovered like if I have a drink on vacation or man, I feel like crap usually yeah. like that night, the next day. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's really not, I can generate, I can generate playfulness and joy and fun yes. and courage and boldness without alcohol. Yeah. And how much more powerful you are as a female presence to be able to do that. You know, yeah. I think it just gives out that energy and frequency that's going to literally attract your husband in such an organic, beautiful way. Um, right. And it's going to be just as an agent to what you do in the healthcare industry for women it's going to shift their mindset in such a beautiful way. So I'm, I'm grateful for you and you're not even my coach, oh, <laughs> but I know you. you're out in the world serving in that way. It's just really beautiful and needed. Yeah. It's a privilege to walk with women through this journey because one of the things I've discovered as a nutrition coach is it is not just about nutrition. Like 
if there's a lot of knowledge that I just teach people and I love teaching and I have a dope curriculum and I just love giving knowledge, but like, if you are wanting to transform your relationship to food, when you start working with me, because you have boundaries and like guardrails and principles and frameworks you're working inside of all of a sudden you have to you feel the boundary and now you have to confront like all your old coping mechanisms and what you're not dealing with and like how you use this as a bandaid and like that work can be confronting and uncomfortable and not everyone can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. But it's so needed. That's what that whole entire being needs, right? Like that's the mind, body, soul piece. And for a long time in my coaching, people couldn't like put phrases to what exactly I did for them. They're like, okay, I hired this business coach, but I just had marriage counseling. I hired this business coach, but I just started eating or in this specific way and by landscape design and like all the things that we get to teach. And so I'm constantly in a realm of like learning and getting new information from so many different sources that really feed into every component of humanity because I've shifted my entire curriculum from business first to being first Mm. and it has to be identity work. It has to be the whole being before you go out to serve the world from a broken place. Isn't that the predicament that we're in right now? Mm. And so I don't like to slap like complete labels on anyone until I feel like they're free from this bondage before they go out to serve the world. Yeah, that's so good. I know for me, like my spiritual practices have really helped me navigate my relationship with food. For example, I do a fear resolution exercise that my therapist gave me. My therapist is Christian. And um, it's basically listing out your fears to God. Like, what are you afraid of? Mm. And then you list out what you would like God to do, right? So it's like petition. And then it's Thanksgiving. It's like writing out all the things you're grateful for. And then you end with, I hate to admit it, but fill in the blank. And like what comes up for me almost every time I journal is I hate to admit it, God, but I don't trust you to provide for me. Or like, God, I hate to admit it, but I still don't think you're enough to fulfill me. Mm. Or like, it's like a flavor. It's like one of those flavors, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then then you finish with, I want to reassure you that blank. And that's where you hear like God speak to you truth. And I've been doing that exercise consistently and regularly whenever I have anxiety, even if it's just a few. And I feel like this clarity in my spirit and my energy now, because I'm just like constantly like bringing that to God and just like Mm -hmm. moving through it. I so, love that. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Oh, it's, I can send it to you, but it, yeah. I, I, you got to do, you can't just like compartmentalize. You got to do the mental work. Mm-hmm. I always say you got to do the inner work and the outer work yes. at the same time to achieve any result in life. Yeah. And that's literally how Fit and Faith was birthed is that I was doing a ton of mental health growth and I was going to a gym, uh, a boot camp style gym for the first time. And I remember going in and the music that was playing, I was like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I couldn't listen to the vulgarity of the music. And it was that trigger that shifted in my spirit that I was like, this is not okay. They're all, it was a women's gym. They're all working out so they can have this bootylicious situation. And here I am like repeating in my spirit, Jesus, 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 trying (laughs) to get my workout on because I love the gym so much. 
But it's not just a matter of what the output looks like. It's the input and input mm-hmm. is, is in your ears. It's in your eyes. Mm-hmm. It's in your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's the nutrition yep. piece. So yep. it's, it's really cool. And that's why yep. I started taking women on retreats and writing the book that I wrote and doing the podcast. So you, I haven't had a, a nutritionist and fitness conversation on here in so long. And so oh. I am so grateful to have connected with you. And I want everyone to know how they can do so more often. Is Instagram yeah. your hangout? There's links already attached yes. everywhere, but So my favorite place to hang out on a daily basis is Instagram. So it's always like popping over there, like posts. I go live every Tuesday night on my Instagram. And then I'm also on stories. Um, And you can always connect with me there in my DMs. That's the best place to reach out, ask questions, connect. But then, um, yeah, I also have a podcast, The Positive Thread. I release new episodes on Sundays. And I have a website, which is my name, heathermcconaughey.com. So you can find me in the the web, you know, the interwebs. I love it. Well, I am grateful to be connected with you. I'm excited to listen to your podcast and see what it's all about. And I am, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. Truly. Thank you for, for standing in the gap for the people who haven't figured it out yet. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. Chat soon. Hey y'all. It's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you. Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. By snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at fitandfaith underscore podcast or me personally at tamra.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.